Hello again, it's Pete here, and welcome to EdTech Innovators. This week we speak to Tom Reynolds from Eden51. Eden51 are a UK EdTech startup that help students in K-12 or the secondary sector perform better in English. And there's evidence to back this up too, so enjoy. Hello, how are you, Pete? Very well, thanks, Tom. Yeah, really good to, to see you, of course, and thanks a lot for, for turning up. Thanks a lot for being here. Um, so let's start with um, your exciting week. I hope it's been exciting anyway, but uh, what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, one day, one day per week, I work as an English advisor and SLA for a multi-academy trust. So I conduct uh, teacher training, team teaching, leadership development and uh, some teaching as well, which is great, as well as working on things like GCSE intervention strategies after mock exam results analysis, that kind of thing. So I do that that one day a week. And then the rest of the week, I write and record the video teaching and learning resources um, that secondary teachers are using on on the EdTech platform. So that's that's really enjoyable. That's really enjoyable. The rest of the week is is spent doing that. Mm, tell, tell us more about that a little bit later on that, that's brilliant mm-hmm. um, are you enjoying the variety then? absolutely um, it's, it's nice to still go out one day per week working with working with the um, members of staff and department of all experience levels um, I really enjoy doing the team teaching um, I've also got two of my own uh, intervention classes that it's great to still be in the classrooms or practicing on a, on a weekly basis. I know it's not the same as being on you know, a full-time table and God knows I, I know what that's like, but it's, it's nice that I haven't sort of left completely to just focus on the production of the EdTech platform from a distance and sort of writing those resources from a distance point of view. I still get to go on a weekly basis and sometimes more depending on you know who I'm working with. I get to really hone that practice and if i've written something that i think i think this is a really good way of 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 selling something to students that maybe they're not that up for things that traditionally they haven't really engaged with as part of an exam syllabus like comparison questions or structure questions the writing gives me the opportunity to take everything that i've i've done and learned holistically over an almost 20 year period but then the one day a week I get to go in, work with staff, work with students and, and put that, that theory into practice, I suppose. So, yeah, really uh, a long-winded way of saying, yes, really enjoying the variation. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. And, and talking of 20 years ago, um, like me, your background is an English teacher. So um, tell us a bit more yeah. about um, your, your background, because I, because I think that from previous conversations, that feeds into Eden 51 um, perfectly. Absolutely. So I've been in secondary inner city uh, education for 19 years. I've always, always worked within the city schools and made a point of, of doing so, um, whether that's been in West Midlands, where I'm from, um, down in South East London, or for the last 10, 12 years working with schools in Liverpool. And of course, um, for the last three years, I suppose, of that, working as an advisor nationally. I've worked with schools all over the country, but I've always made a point and very proud to have uh, worked in the schools. I think I'm, I'm needed the most. 
I've done that for almost 20 years as a, as a classroom practitioner, as a five times head of English, uh, a school senior leader, and again, most recently working as a, a part-time advisor and uh, practitioner SLA with, with schools. Yeah, so that led to um, a, I mean, I don't want to sort of talk cliches, of course, but some kind of a light bulb moment, epiphany or whatever it is, yeah. that was the result of a great deal of research on your part, um, which led you towards Eden 51. So um, mm-hmm. can you paint a picture of this, This well, it wasn't such a moment, but a process when you were sort of laying out lots of um, examples, <laughs> lots of, um, you know, I suppose, fragments of um, exam specs and so on? Yeah, I, mean, I was... I was a very late diagnosed dyslexic. Uh, I believe, I think from looking back, I hope I haven't romanticized this in some strange way. I'm sure it was three days after my final exam um, in my language and literature degree. Three days afterwards, I was um, tested and told, yes, no wonder you've struggled with your own English education as well as just education in general. But I had always struggled with the learning process of English. And I think as much as I've enjoyed, and I I always did enjoy, I mean, I wouldn't have done A-level and and degree level if I didn't, I was always uh, sort of blinded by the abstract and infinite nature of the subject. And as much as I kind of appreciated that texts and content is infinite, and therefore the explorations of ideas within texts is of course uh, infinite too. I could never get my head around the fact that the, the skills and expectations of reading, of writing, of speaking and listening, that they were also um, so infinite and abstract. And so when I first went into teaching in 2003, straight after completing my degree, I wanted a list um, and sort of asked the head of department, where's the, the list of things that I'm meant to teach? And that was met with some, some confusion. So I, I clarified and said, I'm, you know, it, obviously I need to teach uh, a range of uh, effective um, punctuation symbols, sentence structures, sentence types, varied and vivacious vocabulary. Well, there's four things. What about um, structured, flowing uh, paragraphs there's another one that said that list has to run out at some point so everything that I'm saying is agreed that these are the things that students should do to demonstrate the ultimate proficiency within communication so why isn't there a list because I don't believe that that list is is infinite and it was only when I got my sort of first and second and third and fourth head of department roles, moving from school to school, moving geographically around the country. This was a time of um, a lot of schools being in special measures, national challenge, schools just desperately trying to move out of the situation they were in. Not that that's ever particularly changed, but um, those were the schools that I worked with. And I just realised very quickly that it didn't matter whether they were studying one exam board or another. It made no difference whatsoever that the the expectations of students are nigh on 95% plus identical across all of the exam boards. The only thing that changes is the weighting that different boards put on different things. But the actual compendium of expectations doesn't particularly differ and that's because English is obviously bigger 
than the uh, privatization of it that sits beneath, you know? Um, it doesn't matter how many exam boards we have, they work for English. That's what I believe, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a teacher of English and a learner of English. That, that for me doesn't alter dependent on, you know, some level of uh, branding that is, that is put on that. You know, English is <laughs> outweighs and sort of outages um, these exam specifications it always has done it always will so I realized if I got the expect the uh, exam specifications from one board and another and another and another uh, I won't name them but everyone knows who they are there's only about four or five major ones for English GCSE in this country I put them all down on the carpet I was at mom and dad's house at the time and I thought Okay, if there's an expectation of a student in here for reading, writing, speaking or listening that's different, I'll cut it out and I'll stick it to a piece of A1. If it's duplicated, I'll put it in the bin. And at the end of that process, I had found 51 expectations of reading, writing, speaking and listening that each one of those exam boards would, would pick from and provide weightings for. So I had provided a list that sits above those boards. And I even had some of the international specs on there as well. And what that enabled me to do with just a, a huge degree of confidence was to go into schools, working with different departments, different students. And when they would say, I can't do English or I hate English or whatever it was, I could say, well, forget the grade, the grade will take care of itself, but let's look at which bits you can do. And very, very simply, I applied a, a primary school color coding to each of those 51 bits, blue for brilliant, green for good, yellow for okay, and red for weak. And all of a sudden, students were able to see English the way I wish that I'd seen it throughout my own difficulties as something that's step-by-step, -step, logical and explicit. And by doing this in this way, it ceases to be this infinite and abstract um, uh, cloud that a lot of students, and to be fair, a lot of teachers really, really struggle with. So I wanted to bring a, an absolute clarity to English above everything. And that's, that's what I've spent my, my 19 years trying to do. Mm, so, you're, but you're breaking that cycle that you know you're good at English if you're good at English, and your, your parents are articulate, and they have books in the house, and they're usually quite middle class, of course. And um, so that's not very inclusive. Um, but can I ask you how you felt when you were uh, diagnosed with uh, dyslexia, as or as uh, a, a dyslexic learner? Uh, relieved, Ab absolutely, absolutely relieved. Um, I don't remember having any association of negativity towards that diagnosis whatsoever. Uh, it's a chicken and egg thing, really, because I was quite difficult at school. I don't know whether I was difficult at school because I was difficult or whether I was difficult at school because I didn't understand things at first go. Um, there's probably you know, there's probably a six of one and a half dozen of the other there, but I um, have genuinely sat in library at university for days and weeks and, and written a, a sentence. Um, I've always struggled to clarify and streamline. Um, verbally, it's not something that I 
I've ever found difficult and far more um, capable to to vocalise something in a way that I wouldn't look back on and consider that I needed refinement. But with writing, just that the process, I just always craved something step by step so I could have a, a building block. And that's why planning writing, the planning of writing is a has been a major um, focus for me in 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 Eden 51 and writing resources for teaching and learning because so many teachers will say to the students to plan but that I mean just telling a student to plan doesn't mean anything and for a lot of students the reason why their their grades fail at GCSE from the writing sections particularly is because they've never been shown how to plan so teaching teachers how to teach their students how to plan is is huge and it again it goes back to the clarity that i wish that i'd had and so i can't um, lament the the diagnosis because actually that diagnosis and the clarification that it brought me at the time has been the catalyst for my my whole career Mm. So one minute you're staring into the abyss, like like many people with with English, and mm-hmm. other subjects, of course, it, it seems uh, infinite. And then after a great deal of, uh, you know, I suppose, um, trying, you, you it's now finite and achievable, um, yeah. and you've, you've you've tamed it, as it were. Um, so, I mean, let's think about your young self here, Tom. Uh, yeah. How would Eden Fifty One have helped your teenage self then when you were disengaged? I mean. It's... I've never been asked that. I suppose that's a it's a it's an obvious question. I've never I've never been asked that. I I really wish that I had been I had been taught in this way because I've always had a love for English. I mean, I wouldn't have put myself through what I've been through um, doing sort of A level and, and degree level if if I didn't. Um, I wish that I'd had the the clarity of expectation that I think that Eden 51 brings. So for, for anybody kind of struggling to understand from me talking about it hypothetically, you know, it's like having um, like the scales on an instrument, you know, what I do is the, the boring side, the boring side that kind of just underpins the ownership and the, the confidence with that instrument, enabling the, the student to, to layer the sheet music on top afterwards, which can of course get harder and harder as the years go on, just like within any English curriculum from year seven up to year 13, the English curriculum and the content the sheet music that is being demanded from the learner gets more difficult. But what I realized was if you gave um, an 11 year old student uh, a roll dial text, you were still demanding that they responded to it using a set of expectations, which was to extract um, concise but relevant evidence, to make statements upon that evidence, to infer meaning with a degree of sensitivity, to zoom in on specific aspects of that evidence for closer analysis, to perhaps zoom out and consider the text as a whole, or to consider the writer's craft or the influences upon the writer at the time of production. And then finally, to consider the effects that the writer is attempting to have either on the head or the heart, the thoughts or the feelings of the audience. Well, that's it. 
And that doesn't matter whether that's, you know, Richard III or Danny Champion of the World. So it's only the sheet music that changes, it's only the difficulty of the content that shifts, the, the element of the relationship between the reader and the text and the expectations that are expected from them to write about a text, it's exactly the same. And so by making that clear at 11, like the first day of teaching an instrument, you can say, look, these are the expectations for writing. I'm gonna give you a piece of reading now. Um, I want you to apply them. And then when you come back next month, I'm gonna give you another piece and another piece and another piece and another piece. But these things here, they won't ever change. And they don't change at doctorate level. They don't, you know, no one's suddenly inventing different ways to read texts. Like different exam boards don't have different sentence types or different punctuation symbols or different ways of, sort of um, structuring paragraphs. You know, English is bigger than all of those things. And so I just wanted to bring a clarity, a simplicity, and I think for teachers as well, I wanted to bring something permanent because this doesn't bow to any exam board or current incarnation of specification. And for anyone who's been in teaching 20 years, they will know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, by the time you've put your displays up in your room, you'd be sent a new exam spec and you'd be changing it again. So it's nice to bring an element of permanence as well as clarity. And just, you know, this is the way it is. You can use it to teach, the students can use it to learn. And um, it's impervious to any of these sort of purported changes, whether that's at, you know, exam board or, or governmental level. I think that's important. It's important for the teacher as well as the learner. Well, in terms of um, why Eden 51 is, is, you know, stands out from other uh, English platforms and other EdTech platforms, um, I mean, I'll, I'll start you off, Shai, if, if I may. And you know, one of the reasons why you're on this podcast is because you're yeah. looking at it from the point of view that tech is not going to solve the problem. You know, something else is, is going to solve the problem, but tech is an enabler, of course. You know, it's, it's a facil- facilitator. But, uh, mm. but what makes Eden, Eden 51 different then? Um, I think that... I think that for a lot of the ed tech provisions in general, English is kind of the one that people or ed tech companies have, have stayed away from to some degree. And that's because it's, it's believed commonly that the objectivity of different subjects is easier. So the objectivity of maths, um, the objectivity of science, perhaps, and then even to some degree, the objectivity of of uh, history, geography, and perhaps English literature, just in terms of knowledge, knowledge recall. With, with general writing, reading, um, less so speaking and listening, obviously speaking and listening has obviously taken a, a back seat of being accredited for the last four or five years, as opposed to being certificated um, at GCSE anyway, domestically. So across reading and writing, it's always been deemed to be too subjective or how could you create something for this infinite process and so I don't actually believe that there is another edtech platform that is clarifying by number that there are only 18 reading expectations of a student to demonstrate proficiency when they're responding to a text or 18 writing expectations to demonstrate proficiency when producing a text whether that's a transactional piece of writing 
or a creative piece in the form of narrative or description. I don't believe that anybody else has actually put a number on it. So the fact that I've been willing to put a number on it and for branding purposes, I really wish it was 50. Like 51 is <laughs> quite frustrating. Um, but, you know, I wasn't going to sort of take one off just for the sake of marketing. But, yeah, I found 51, 18 reading, 18 writing, 15 speaking, listening. And, you know, those 51, they've been through the mill. They have been through many heads of English, um, English leaders, national um SLE English leaders no one's added a 52nd so the the fact that I'm um, heralding and promoting clarity at all costs well I don't think anything gives a greater degree of clarity than me sticking a flag in the sand and saying there's the number and all you've got to do is color code those numbers and students can see right I've got four reds I've got six yellows right I'm brilliant at that because it's blue I'm good at that because it's green teachers can see it students can see it I don't think anybody else is bringing that level of clarity to uh, to English teaching and learning I think a lot of the English ed tech provisions focus on the maybe the knowledge recall side that's particularly attributed to literature you know um, it's a lot more it's a lot easier in lit to be able to say in a Macbeth quiz you know, what's the name of Banquo's son or in what act and in what scene does this happen or which word best describes um, the connotation of this evidence and you can have multiple choice quizzes because you, there is a degree of explicit um, knowledge and knowledge recall. So I think the subjectivity and the ambiguity and what I spoke about before the infinite abstract element of English has maybe put people off and again perhaps this is maybe why I'm, I'm lucky that the first 20 years of this was so difficult because it's helped to catalyze the last 20 years and maybe I can use this to make things easier for other people. Yeah and do you, well, you imagine that that uh, you know, subjectivity if you like or perceived subjectivity mm. uh, doesn't make it as popular with uh, with government policy makers Mm. Um, but what I mean, you, you tried it, and a few schools are actually using this. So, what are people saying about it so far? I've had some wonderful testimonials and testimonials that I'm I'm really very proud of. I started doing this in 2018. A very good friend of mine helped me to build this platform originally in Excel. Um, a gentleman by the name of Christopher Gettle. Um, and it was it was very impressive, even for the building Excel, you know, some of the stuff that we had the platform doing. And even in its original guise, which we'll call its analog guise in Excel, it was going out to schools. Schools were using it to share the teaching and learning information with students when students were saying, I can't do English, I hate English, whatever the problem was, say, all right, well, let's look at this. Actually, Rather than looking at the grade and getting angry because you've, you know, you've got an opinion on the grade holistically, let's look at the journey for how that grade was produced. And you've got a handful of blues, which are brilliant. You've got a handful of greens, which are, which are good. You've got a number of yellows, which are okay. We could do with developing them, but you've got four reds. And those four reds will do after school on Thursday this week. And all of a sudden, I was getting testimonials saying things like, our um, our boys have never been so engaged. 
students are coming up at lunchtime asking to see their reds, asking when the intervention is going to take place for that individual itemized expectation, which again is something that in schools is a little bit of a nonsense when 100 students stay behind after school to do some English, uh, which doesn't mean anything. Um, so they have students have got some lovely testimonials from love the idea of chipping away at this and i used the phrase before and you said on twitter this whack-a-mole process so they they engage with it from why they've got a red what's that red for and teach them say well all right we'll click on it that red is for your your sentence structures okay so if you stay behind a week on wednesday there's four of you that have got a red for sentence structure so we'll, we'll do that then and then i'll even update it on the 851 platform and uh, we'll look at the difference it kind of makes to your writing overall. So students just seeing that they're chipping away with this step-by-step -step process. Great testimonials from students. For teachers as well, what I've always found really interesting about this is I can say to any teacher that I've ever met for English, I've worked with hundreds of line managed, probably a hundred. I can always ask them how many reading, writing, I forget speaking listen for the moment, how many reading, writing expectations would you have of a, of a student to demonstrate maximum proficiency at GCSE? And they would ask, what do you mean? And I could go through the same thing as before. So well, would you expect them to have a, a varied, appropriate and effective use of vocabulary? I'd say, of course. And say, so would you expect them to have um, consistently secure spellings, capital letters, of course. Like, okay, so if that's three, write me a list. And I genuinely believe that every English teacher that I've ever met and worked with would have a different list, and therein lies the problem. Yeah, I'm assuming that the kids who love English, kids who are passionate and able and in English, um, mm -hmm. like it too. Absolutely. Um, what's, what's really nice is from that basic colour coding system, some schools use it to try and shift the students from red to yellow, which in, you know, in real world terms is them saying we want to get these students up to a, a grade four, a grade five. Um, we want them to, to pass. And so any of these reading or writing expectations that they've got a red for, that red is saying that it's not really up to pass level. So there will be some schools or some teachers that focus on how do we shift these reds to yellows? But in other schools, in other, in, other, in other classes, in top sets, you may have students that are on mostly, mostly blue, but with a handful of greens. And students that are equally as annoyed, well, why have I only got a green for that? When are you doing the intervention session on green? Okay, so green is for and uh, um, using a, a range of sensitive inferences when, when reading a text. So they'll do an intervention session on that. And then hopefully it goes to blue and the profile's printed out and the students then please, because they've whack-a-mole a, a green to blue. And, and so the process continues. So yeah, it's absolutely not just um, a way of demonstrating adequate proficiency. Um, it's a way of sort of trying to achieve an advanced level at uh, every one of these expectations. Hmm. Well, we could try and read the 
read the readers readers the listeners minds now if that's okay mm -hmm. with you tom so uh, yeah. what do they're thinking are they thinking things like how do i access it and uh, can i where can i get a sneak preview preview um you know, what's the process of, of, of acquiring this and, and so on um no problem at all if um if the listeners were to go on eden51.com and that's uh 51 with letters not with numbers so the full spelling of eden51.com um there is an opportunity to enter your your name your role school or academy and your email address um to register your interest for me to be able to get in touch with you at the moment, I have been doing 20-minute demonstrations for schools that request that request demonstration um, at a time that's mutually convenient. However, I am hoping within a very, very short space of time, something like the next four weeks, that once you go onto the website, prior to arranging that, that demonstration and further conversation, that there will be um, a lot more information for you to look at and play with and we're going to try and get a trial login on there as well that shouldn't be too far away so somebody could log in give themselves a name and then sort of take themselves back in time pretending that they're in the GCSE year again and just filling in a number of the boxes and then exploring some of the the features and functionality of the platform Okay, simple as right. So, I mean, the final question for me, Tom, is the, it's a big picture question, really. So what do you think needs to change in, in EdTech and education more broadly? Another huge questions, but... Uh, okay, um, for EdTech, yeah, uh, for EdTech, I think the first thing, if, if we're taking the, the education technology just off-site for a moment and for schools, for, sorry, for students to be able to benefit from edtech provision externally then i mean even even on site as well the quality of the hardware that that students are using to interact with i think would be the first thing i know that that's not a, a specific answer on the edtech but i think what we saw across the two years of remote learning during lockdown was that some students really did have an advantage in being able to access external education and external remote um, education provision and certain students didn't and that was down to the hardware it was down to the to the internet access and there is a real divide you know it's called the you know the, the gap and the widening of the gap in an educational setting and without doubt that will have widened over the last two years so i think that the the narrowing of that in terms of the the hardware and the connection provision for students across the country has to be of, of paramount uh, priority. Um, and I think for EdTech itself, I, I like the idea of, of EdTech sort of occupying maybe two different roles. The first one being almost like the icing to the cake so that the, the classroom teacher is, is still um, providing that day-to-day -day learning journey um, sort of from beginning to middle to end. But the, the ed tech access is just providing maybe a different slant, a different way of doing things. And as I say, like an icing, an icing to the cake kind of analogy. 
this is what I believe has happened with English for the last few years, that the explicit kind of knowledge recall and multiple choice quiz side of English has been catered for. Um, but the, the opportunity for a platform to deliver something like from the beginning and develop and to conclude and to sort of map that journey for students from beginning to middle to end, that's something completely different. And that's something that I'm really trying to help um, with the provision of, of Eden 51. Mm. Well, thanks a lot, Tom. That, that was hugely enlightening. And I really hope that people do um, you know, get in touch with you and um, ask for a demonstration. Um, so um, and thanks a lot and absolute pleasure as always. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you very, very much, Pete. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. My pleasure too. You take care. Thank you. That was Tom Reynolds from Eden 51. It's good, that, wasn't it? Next time, very snugly indeed, we have an EdTech startup that helps students do better in maths, or math, or mathematics. Until then, see you later. Thank you.